We want to warn you, this story includes disturbing details about boarding schools that may be triggering for some. We encourage you to find resources through the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition in the U.S. and the National Indian Residential School Crisis Hotline in Canada. And you can join us on Tuesday, May 30th for a National Day of Action to demand justice and accountability for the crimes at Native boarding schools. You can follow us on social media by looking for Illuminative. I realized this school truly traumatized my family's entire bloodline and it, you know, I had to work through every single trauma. I'm still not done, but I'm better than where I was whenever I started this work. And this work is definitely not for the easy because those traumas will come up. You have to forgive your elders. You have to forgive your parents for the things they've did to you, the things they've done to you because, you know, that's the only way we could move forward is understanding that, you know, this abuse was taught to them by the church and, um, you know, and yeah. So once, once I realized that, you know, it was the church that did that to me and my family, it was so much easier to forgive. It was so much easier to, you know, get up every day and, you know, look at my mom and, you know, tell her that I forgive her for, you know, drinking most of my childhood. And, um, it's always a healing journey every day, I feel like. When I look back over the last year, it's it's deeply transformed me, I think, to really feel like, to get into this story, and you know, as I shared, it was deeply personal because of what happened to my grandfather. You know, my motivation for this is my grandfather, who was a survivor of the Pawnee Industrial Boarding School, and I grew up with the horror stories of what happened to him there. But I think to be entrusted by the folks at Pine Ridge with their stories, that was big. That was that was really, really big. And I think to be on this journey with you, Lachey, right? And to be like, just constantly challenging ourselves. Like, how are we trying to be balanced? How are we being thoughtful? How are we being responsible um, in this? I, I, I learned a lot. When I think about the stories, when we were, you know, sitting around the table with the Nelson family, and, and those were, we heard some really tough stories. We, you know, I think about Grandma Fifi's stories or listening to Dusty share about the unmetabolized trauma. At the same time, there's laughter, there's love, there's joy, there's family, there's resiliency. They're, they're all thinking about solutions. And it just really inspired me. Yeah. But I honestly feel like this is one of the most important projects I've ever been a part of. And I think for our organization, Illuminative, I think it's one of the most important projects that we've, we've been a part of as well. But they, we can't let this lie. This, this can't be the end of the story. I think you can't leave some of these conversations um, without, you know, it affecting you and impacting, you know, your life and how you look at the world. Right. This is bigger than body counts. This is about American history and a reckoning that needs to happen. That's not about making people feel guilty and, and shame. I mean, you honestly cannot go through talking to this community and, and learning about this history and what's happening today in the present day impact without that changing you ultimately. The truth coming out is collective medicine and I think gives a pathway for collective healing in this country, which is so needed. And we cannot let these stories get swept under the rug. You know, as Secretary Holland says, children were taken from their communities and forced into boarding These schools were in 37 states, more than 400. This is just the tip of the iceberg. America is still one giant crime scene. This is American Genocide.
many people since the podcast has come out have been, you know, asking us questions like, how do we feel? Or what's, what's the intention here? What's our goal? I feel a lot of emotions about the past year. And in some ways, one of those emotions is anger. I'm angry at what has occurred. And I'm angry about the fact that there hasn't been much accountability. And that's something that I want to see. In talking with all of these people, it seems like everybody has the same ultimate conclusion and that there needs to be some kind of accountability. No, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. But I also, I do leave with hope and happiness and joy because of these young people, these amazing survivors who are telling their stories, the Native people who are in office who are making change happen. So that brings me a lot of joy and that brings me a lot of peace. But what I hope to see is that this is just the beginning of the rest of the world, the rest of America waking up to this issue, a progression of awakening, a progression of, of change um, to ultimately get to that, that action and then ultimately that healing. Anybody that's listening, there's a good chance this happened in your state, somewhere in proximity to your community that there was one of these schools. I don't think the American public really understands that, that even though you can point to this happened in this time period from 1819 to 1969, that wasn't the window when all of a sudden everything after that was fine. This is part of American history and it's still, it's still got DNA. There's a lot of stuff going on the U.S. border right now. There's still child, you know, family separations happening. There's been children dying in custody on the border. There's other things like we have to understand that this isn't just a one and done isolated incident. Right. This is about greed. This was about progress. This was about profit. This was land. This there was a very intentional thing and also a belief that Native Americans and people of color are less than that. We are less than human. And these are fundamentally things that we need to address because they're still omnipresent in today's society. We just were able to share a, a bit of one investigation in one community. These are starting to unfold across Indian country, and I'm hopeful that Congress is going to step in and do something. I'm hopeful there's going to be legislation. I'm hopeful that no matter what happens in the election in 2024, that this isn't going to go away. When we first started this journey, we were looking to capture the oral histories of boarding school survivors and their descendants. It was clear from the beginning there were deep systemic problems that were born out of the dark history of the boarding school system. Every conversation was layered with pain that was passed down. Who knows how many children we continue to lose because these churches still have that colonizer mindset that they know better and that they're doing us a favor by taking our children and saving them from us. But overwhelmingly, we came out of these conversations knowing there is resiliency and hope. We decided we were going to go deep, but we wanted to be fair and balanced. So we made sure to also interview voices from across the issue, including school administrators, former employees, Catholic Lakotas, and politicians, including U.S. Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. As part of our look back at the year that was, let's talk about last October, when Secretary Holland visited South Dakota as part of her listening tour. What she also did in partnership with Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs, Brian Newland. Um, right, this is part of their, their listening tour um, that they've been doing in 
Native communities across the United States. It's a tremendous honor to join all of you on the ancestral homelands of the Lakota people. I'm not going to take up a lot of time because I'm really here to listen to all of you. I was able to see some of the clips of, of the testimony, um, which was absolutely horrific. But Secretary Holland and Assistant Secretary Newland actually sit up in front. These are being held in like gymnasiums at schools, right? And being opened up to survivors and their descendants um, to come in and to just stand up and give to testimony. And the one I went to um, last July at a different boarding school site in Oklahoma at Riverside Indian School, which I think more than 200 survivors and their descendants showed up to, to give testimony. I remember one grandmother got up and talked about the abuse, you know, of which she was, you know, beaten and tortured. Uh, but she said, actually, I want my, my daughter, my grown daughter to share some things. And her daughter was probably, I would imagine in her, you know, maybe 50s. Um, and her daughter said, our mother never told us that she loved us. Our, our mother never showed us any affection. That's when it was just really crystallized that it's these acts of cultural genocide that happen. That one act and the ripple effect it takes across generations of what it did to those families. For many of these survivors, this is sometimes some of the very first times they've ever spoken about their trauma. A lot of the attention that came to Red Cloud Indian School was a direct result of the work of Macaw Black Elk, the founding leader of the school's Truth and Healing Initiative, which commissioned the GPR survey. In our most recent conversation with him, he gave us a breakdown of what the survey revealed about their grounds. Yeah, I mean, you know, we went through a very um, challenging process of searching for, uh, and searching an area using ground penetrating radar that was, you know, um, deemed to have potentially uh, you know, uh, unmarked graves at them. We did that, and then we um, actually then dug uh, and found that there was nothing there um, and no evidence of anything having been there, not even evidence of, you know, former graves having been there that then were removed. It was perfectly undisturbed soil with the exception of uh, some animal burrows and some uh, building material from the previous years, and that's what was showing up in the in initial radar. I have a lot of mixed emotions. I mean, you are thankful that there wasn't anything found because I remember being at that school the day that they were embarking on starting to do that ground penetrating radar survey and you kind of felt it in your gut of what it could mean and what the implications could mean if something like that was discovered. The school just owes it in some ways to the community to to have that kind of those answers and and that closure for them but i don't think that's a vindication at all this is an immense campus this is a big land base of which this school sits on there's so much more that we don't know it brings me back around again and i think it was a question you know lachey you and i've talked about is like are they gonna are they gonna do the gpr in other places or was that or was that it mccall black elk certainly has a point of view on the criticism I mean, there are some people who still insist that this place was uh, some kind of, um, you know, Holocaust gulag, um, where there are just bodies strewn about and in uh, that it's just this murder factory. I mean, there are people who just are kind of always going to believe that, and that's that's the, they're going to believe that because that's the narrative that's 
they want to hold on to. And it's the narrative that I, th I think delivers them some sort of, I don't know, justification for disliking our institution and what we do in our in our history. And there's no, you know, I don't think there's anything that we can do in particular that will help those individuals overcome that. Um, you know, in our work, we've talked about there are three major barriers to healing. Um, and the first barrier to healing is that you have to want to heal. Um, you have to, you know, desire to overcome and develop a relationship, um, uh, especially in the work of reconciliation. And there are people who just don't want to do that. Just remember, guys, this is a peaceful protest, so we ain't going up there to put those nuns and Jesuits in headlocks. We told you how Macaw's mission has faced scrutiny from local activist groups like the International Indigenous Youth Council. Bring our children home. We want our children back. So Lachey, what are some of the things that you've heard about the Youth Council since we last had a chance to visit with them? We know that the Youth Council's activism continues. They are now working with the tribe on a boarding school task force. So it's gonna be interesting to see how that continues. We went back to Pine Ridge to pick up some later interviews and wound up speaking to Gus Yellowhair from Thunder Valley that we profiled in episode three, and Eleanor Ferguson of the Youth Council, who we profiled in episode two. At this time, the community was in an uproar after a Christian evangelist infiltrated the reservation. He was attempting to convert people by telling them their cultural heroes are demons. It was a wild reminder of why they stay vigilant. We want to be clear, this evangelist was not associated with Red Cloud School. You know, what they were doing, the rhetoric that they were passing around, you know, the really aggressive evangelistic tactics. They came to my community and began knocking on doors and, what? Why are you trying, what, what, you know, when people are waking up, you know, they're telling one elder there that's, uh, he's a ceremonial type of guy, I mean, he's one of those. They told him, so, you know, your, your ways that you're, you're trying to teach, they're, they're uh, evil, they're ways of the devil, you know. We want you to, uh, what do you say, acknowledge and come to church and ask for forgiveness. <laughs> what the hell are you asking, you know, in 2022? You know, we, shit, we, we, we barely uh, survived that. Now we're ready to move on, you know. This is where things got really crazy. So our friend was working and this priest noticed he was indigenous or Lakota until he bring out these pamphlets. And this pamphlet just talked about demonizing our way of life and, um, you know, saying Tunkashila is a demon idol, Russell Means is evil and a drunk, and um, he didn't believe in the Lakota way of life. and talking down on our, some of our greatest spiritual leaders. So that priest was, you know, sitting there hovering over our friends while, you know, just demonizing them. So eventually they brought them to us and they were like, hey, this is what's going on. The Lakota Tribal Council, the tribal government took it very seriously, right? About these religious institutions or these missionaries doing this. And it became an issue in front of council. And I, from what I hear, you know, Eleanor and Philip were very involved and we, they were there. And the tribe really took some action and I think kicked these missionaries out of the community. This summer, after the whole ground penetrating radar effort uh, that you were in attendance for, um, we were contacted by the head of the Jesuits in Rome, um, and he uh, came in person 
um, to Red Cloud, and we gathered a bunch of alumni and and boarding school alumni and survivors to come. And he issued an, a, a formal apology from the Jesuits nation or worldwide. Um, he also brought a message from Pope Francis um, for our community specifically. Um, and then what, what the most remarkable thing was was that he. He met with both members of the Rosebud Tribal Council and the Pine and the Oglala Sioux Tribal Council, and they collectively wrote him a letter asking him to take this letter back to Pope Francis and and to ask the church to work on rescinding the Doctrine of Discovery. And he said he would, and then he did. So the doctrine of discovery from the Catholic Church is also oftentimes referred to as the papal bulls, right? Um, I think from the 15th century. It really justified it by any means necessary the conquest of land and resources um, and, and violence against native peoples. And really for that doctrine to become the inherent kind of core, right? Then as you think about 15th century onward um, of, of the church being a massive force behind colonization and genocide and theft of resources and and not just on this continent africa you know all these india like we look i think the church is beginning to understand oh shit the writing's on the wall and this is probably going to only get worse and i've talked to people who've been organizing and working around this that said that the internal some of the internal conversations with the church has been fearful of, of bankruptcy because they're already being hit on one side with all these pedophile cases and settlements, right? And you've got indigenous peoples now pushing more. I think that this is a very, uh, a far more self-interested motivation behind repudiating this doctrine. It's good to finally see it, but in so many ways you cannot, I mean, you cannot undo what the doctrine of discovery is. You can't, it is so woven into even the U.S. laws that impact us today. A 2005 Supreme Court decision, it was referenced. I mean, the impact of the doctrine of discovery is there, like a, an apology doesn't do it. The follow-up letter in October, where he described how he uh, brought the letter to Pope Francis to talk about his experience on the reservation, to talk about the doctrine of discovery, and and said that he told Pope Francis that he hopes that the church can do the work towards rescinding that terrible doctrine, and that he assured us that Pope Francis is working on that. I mean, that's incredible. One of the folks that we met on our journey really captured our attention, and that's Marcia Small. We met her in the context of her work as the scientist who operates the ground-penetrating radar. Although she was hired by Red Cloud School to lead the survey, she made it clear just who she works for. I do work in the Indian Boarding School cemeteries. I'm looking for the stolen and kidnapped children. We were fascinated by Marsha and wanted to know more about her story. So we sat down with her again for this episode and our jaws dropped. Here she is in her own words. My parents had divorced, so I raised myself entire about 10 years old on the way up. When my brother got killed, got basically murdered, you know, they got in like gunfight and uh, it just destroyed my life. But I, I remained close to my mom. And so when my mom left, it took a lot out of me. And uh, I fell on the abyss that lasted about 20 years. And so I basically crawled off the street. Um, I was having a lot of fun there too. 
uh, when I say I crawled off the street, all the things that come with that, you know, the, the addictions, everything. Well, I, I had a, well, I didn't really have that addiction. I had one addiction over meth, and uh, I'm not afraid to say that because I think people need to understand how hard it is to to have that life and then to be at the abyss, at the edge of the abyss, and ask your ancestors, this isn't what I signed on for. You got anything better? And when they answer, oh, heck yeah, let's do this. I really just walked out the door. And then I, I got on a bus, and the buses in Southern Oregon are free. So I got on a bus, I was riding around, I rode around all over town, and then I, I thought, I'm kind of hungry, I better get something to eat. But I uh, jumped off the bus there at the university, at the Southern Oregon University on the corner there, and I started walking alongside of it. And I, uh, I heard this, these drums, right? And I'm like, those are Indian drums. I better go check them out, you know? And so I walked over, sure enough, they were having their annual powwow in there. And I sat way at the back, you know, and the drums were just, they were speaking to me like no other time. No other time in my life that I, I heard such a compelling heartbeat, you know? It literally vibrated throughout my body. And I just sat there and at the end of it, I at the end of the powwow, I like, or they're, you know, and they wanted to feed. Uh, I was real emotional, you know, and I just went to the bathroom and I really cried. And um, I come back out of there and hit thinned out of it, but there was still food left. And they said, eat, eat. And I'm like, I am starving, <laughs> you know, because I'd been starving before I got there. And so I went and I ate and I tasted foods from Alaska and other, in, other native foods, other indigenous foods, because there was Korean foods there and Japanese foods, you know. And I was able to taste it all. And man, I'll tell you, if there wasn't a, just a, a, a bomb for the soul right then. And so they pulled me into academia there. Once I did that, the ancestors just started rolling with me. I mean, the doors opened um, that for funding, for some funding. I was still, I'm still taking out major school loans. Um, that's going to stop here shortly. But really, people started opening up to me, you know. People started calling and saying, hey, can you, um, what do you, how far are you? <laughs> Marcia Small continues on her mission to create a nationwide, all-Native network of ground-penetrating radar specialists with the goal of searching every reservation across the country. I personally interviewed Macaw Black Elk three times for this series, including one last time for this episode. He dove into this complex issue and took a lot of heat when he could have just coasted, played nice, and hid behind his religious beliefs. So why did he take this on? I, I mean, to put it crudely, at the end of the day, I know I'm right. Um, so there is something about that. Um, but also, um, it, to me, it's about it's about a Lakota future that's bright. I mean, I look at some of the rhetoric that has been so negative about the boarding school history or about you know this institution as a catholic institution and and i see a lakota future in that rhetoric that's very dark and very um very much sort of rooted in this idea that you know uh, we are a people of trauma and we are a people who are hurt and we are a people who um you know, are deeply scarred. And I understand where that comes from because I don't think it's untrue, but I think it just fails to also recognize that we are a people of hope, that we are a people of um, 
with a future, that we are people who aspire, um, that we are people who adapt and change, um, and that we also haven't lost everything. Um, I think sometimes there's this rhetoric out there that sort of makes it sound like, you know, oh, the church and and the and the U.S. government they ruined us and and we're forever damaged and we've lost so much. And again, I don't think that's untrue, but it's so limited and so defeatist and so dark. And I just believe in something better. Um, and so I think that's what drives me is this sense of um, we are not a people defeated. We are a people resilient. And I just fully affirm that and want to pass that on. We kept hearing truth and healing a lot, often accompanied by a third word, justice. What does that mean in action? Macaw's Department of Truth and Healing is local only to Red Cloud Indian School. But there's another movement to get a bill passed that would investigate the impacts and ongoing effects of the Indian boarding school policies. Its name, the Truth and Healing Commission on Indian Boarding School Policies Act. We met with one of the architects of the bill, Deb Parker, who leads the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. Good day. My traditional name is Sitsayeltsa. That's my grandmother's name four generations back on my Stahobj side. I'm a citizen of the Tulalip tribes, and I'm currently the CEO for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. To date, there has never been an accounting of the number of children that were forced to attend these institutions. There's never been a number of children who were abused, died, or went missing. The commission, it has several key provisions in the bill. And so the provisions would examine the location of children. It would document ongoing impacts from boarding schools. It would also help us locate church and government records. It would also help hold culturally appropriate public hearings to collect testimony from survivors and descendants. So all of this has never happened. All of this institutional knowledge and gathering from um, subject matter experts is so critically to help us to tell these testimonies of what occurred during this era. And then at the end, we're looking for a final report, which would list recommendations for justice and healing. And for all of the elders who are still searching for their siblings because they never returned from those schools, we have a right to know. They have a right to know. If we're talking about such a huge nationwide disgrace, why was it so hard to get action on it? What changed? How did Deb Parker break through? Well, it turns out she found an ally in a woman who we've been touting this whole time. Well, we owe a great deal of gratitude towards Secretary Holland. We approached her when she was first elected on the House side as, as a U.S. representative. And she, it was one of the most beautiful days of walking into, into the, the nation's capital and knowing that there was someone who understood boarding school issues. She was ready to take action. 
and help NABs create the uh, best piece of legislation that we could. This year will be our third year introducing um, our bill on on the creating of a U.S. Truth and Healing Commission. You can go to boardingschoolhealing.org and we will provide updates on our commission bill. It's under advocacy on our website and it's under Truth and Healing Commission on Ending Boarding School Policies. To learn more about the history of Native American boarding schools and how you can take action and make a difference, please visit illuminative.org slash American Genocide Podcasts. What about Macaw Black Elk, the initiator of the ground-penetrating radar survey? Well, we asked him what's next, and the answer was not what we expected. Oof. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess this is probably the time that I have to reveal that I'm actually leaving. Um, uh, this is my last couple of months uh, in this position and at Red Cloud um, for a number of reasons. Um, one, you know, I, I think dedicating three years to this work has been um, has been personally challenging, has been very detrimental towards my mental health um, and my physical health. Um, and I'm I'm ready for a break and for uh, to try and, and you know work in a different capacity. Um, so that, that doesn't mean that the work here at Red Cloud won't continue. Um, there will be, a, our, of course, our truth and healing efforts will, will continue. It just won't be me at the helm anymore. Um, and I think for me, I mean, this is always my community. This is, uh, even though I'm technically now actually leaving the reservation for a time, this is always gonna be home. Um, and so for me, um, I'm just gonna continue being Lakota wherever I go and advocating for my community wherever I am. I'm, I'm mostly actually leaving for very good personal reasons. Um, my partner and I are going to move in together. We both got job, teaching jobs um, at a, um, a school in Tokyo. Um, I lived in Japan before, so it's really like going to my second home again, going back. Uh, I'll be teaching in a high school. They're developing a new kind of course that's focused on interdisciplinary, critical thinking, kind of. Um, so I'm coming in as a, as a new teacher who will help design this new course, and they really want to integrate a lot of this work around racial healing and reconciliation. So I'm, I'm bringing that, and hopefully that will, you know, create curriculum that I can take with me wherever I go after that, including coming back here. Surprise! Macaw's going to Japan. <laughs> I don't know. I mean... He had to know going into this position that this was going to be a difficult, difficult job. And I think we we saw that in person. I mean, we saw kind of that sort of role that you play in the community. Maybe he has, you know, in those three years, just lost sight of, of what he initially wanted to do. And I'd be very, very curious to see how the community moves forward um, without Macaw in that position. It's not for the faint-hearted, and I think you have to really be intentional and thoughtful, and so, you know, I don't know that I'm surprised to hear that it's taken a toll, um, and I think you could hear it, you know, you could feel the emotion or even sometimes the agitation, right? Especially as he started getting more and more criticism in the community. So I understand this isn't easy work, but 
it concerns me to hear that he somehow is now almost kind of putting himself as out as like sort of an expert and seems to be very quick to wanting to vindicate the church and the school just off of one one instance of a GPR demonstration that was largely controlled. Yeah. Lachey, as we on our journey on this podcast, right, and, and I've talked to so many people, you know, across Indian country as they've been following this story, right, and been following the podcast, people wondering what, what are the results of the GPR demonstration? And so now that we know that nothing was found, you know, how does, you know, what does that mean that, that, that there were not children found in that basement? What does that mean in terms of, in your mind, what are next steps at Red Cloud or how people should maybe be thinking about this going forward? I think if you take a look at what is happening at Red Cloud Indian School with the truth and healing work, you should also kind of look and reflect at what has happened in Canada. In so many ways, Canada is years, maybe even decades ahead of us in kind of doing that truth and healing work. And tribes up there have had a much bigger opportunity to see some of that truth and accountability come forward. And I hope moving forward that we start to see many, many other communities have an opportunity to do this this ground penetrating radar survey to look to see what's what's in their grounds, but also have an opportunity to hear from more boarding school survivors. And we need to do the research and the investigations into all of those those claims of, of terrible things that had happened where children were not able to go back to their families. It's not just about how many children are found or not found. It's also about there's something we can still do about mending that circle. A lot of elders will talk about this, that the circle got broken with these boarding schools, and I think there's a way to mend it, but there's a lot of work to do going forward. We've been in conversation with an incredible leader in Indian country, you know, Edgar Villanueva, who's, you know, the founder of an organization called Decolonizing Wealth, and and his work has been transformative in terms of really educating and calling philanthropy and, and wealthy individuals and entities you know, into action and, and holding them accountable about the kind of a, amassing of wealth that oftentimes has really come on the backs of, of indigenous and, and black and, and, and people of color throughout history. And he's been very successful in, con- in convincing major institutions to transfer major assets back into communities of color. And so I'm really excited that, you know, as a result of this podcast campaign and, and the longstanding work that Edgar's been doing, around this reconciliation work and reparations work. Um, We're coming up with a plan to what we can do in our own small ways to really support Native communities as they continue on in this really important work. So um, I'm really excited that we've been able to um, reach out and build a partnership with someone really special um, to be a part of this campaign. and we want to welcome Edgar Villanueva, who is the founder of Decolonizing Wealth. Edgar, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Decolonizing Wealth? Absolutely. I'm Edgar Villanueva. I am an enrolled member of the Lumbee Tribe from North Carolina. I've worked in and around the space of philanthropy for about 20 years, and my passion has always been about the redistribution of wealth back to Indigenous and Black and Brown communities. 
Uh, five years ago, I wrote a book called Decolonizing Wealth and since then launched the Decolonizing Wealth Project and our fund, Liberty Capital. And uh, the mission of the organization is really um, to center racial equity into in a place where it becomes a societal norm and that we have new systems that ensure that everyone can live their best lives and thrive in their cultures and heal from generations of colonial trauma. A big part of our work is helping folks understand that the wealth that we have in this country in particular is a direct byproduct of the taking of land from indigenous people, colonization, the near genocide of our communities, and of course, uh, the enslavement of uh, black folks in this country. And so through various initiatives at DWP, uh, we redistribute wealth uh, to the tune of about four to $5 million a year back to indigenous and black communities. So I'm really hopeful and I think I'm so excited about this partnership with Illuminative to bring visibility to this issue and also to help us get resources for our communities. The fund that we are launching is an opportunity to redistribute that wealth back to tribes and native nonprofits and native communities to support our participation, our advocacy, and to support our healing. And Lachey, it makes me think about Marsha Small. Um, and Edgar Marsha Small is the one that conducted the ground penetrating radar investigation out at Red Cloud School. Um, and so really it, it could fund GPR uh, investigations in other native communities, correct? Absolutely. The truth is it's great when governments stand up and begin to acknowledge what has happened and to take action. But often government uh, commissions and, and these types of efforts are, are not funded. And so we will provide some support around movement building and organizing um, in our community. And funding will be available to any tribe, regardless of federal recognition, uh, state or federally recognized tribes are eligible, as well as nonprofits who are working in community that are, are led by Native folks. And then we imagine that there'll also be uh, resources available to support tribes with documenting their history, doing research work, narrative work to document uh, harms, digitizing, you know, tribal history, um, documenting land loss, legal support, whatever our folks say that they need uh, in order to document truth. There will be a committee that is all Native folks um, that will be working to make decisions around how we allocate the resources. Decolonizing Wealth that does this work so well will be holding and managing this fund. Illuminative is a, is a partner. We're not receiving any money from it, um, but Illuminative will be part of helping to seed the fund as well as Decolonizing Wealth and, and just really want to encourage people because I know we've talked to so many people already, Lachey, right, that people are like, what can we do? Um, this is definitely one call to action. You know, give whatever you can because this is really about empowering the agency of, of Native peoples to get at the truth to get justice and to start working towards healing. Um, and, but as Edgar, you said it so well, that that needs to be resourced. Um, that's, that's, it's really long intensive work to do that. And so again, we just wanna encourage people to do whatever you can, but to, to think about contributing to the National Truth and Healing Fund. You can find the donation link and more information about the fund at illuminative.org backslash American Genocide Podcast. The producer of this podcast would like to thank and acknowledge the following. Evolutionaries, supported by CAA and Pop Culture Collaborative. San Manuel Band of Mission Indians. Serdna Foundation. Open Society Foundation. Novo Foundation. 
MacArthur Foundation, Christensen Fund, Pivotal Ventures, and JPB Foundation. Looking for more ways to make a difference? Illuminative is partnering with the Decolonizing Wealth Project to launch a national fund to support grants to tribes and native nonprofit organizations in their quest to find truth, justice, and healing. To learn more and to donate, go to decolonizingwealth.com.